Coming up on today's episode, we recap the Jets' win over Carolina, including that first period. Plus, El Nino is staying in Winnipeg. Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. What's good and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rewicki or the podcast at Skates Plates Pod. All right, coming at you guys a day later, so we'll get right into it here. Thanks for your patience, and uh, let's dive on into some Winnipeg Jets talk. All positive, too. After a win, and a win in the contract department as well. So we'll get into all of that with you guys over the course of the next 20 or 30 minutes or so. Doing so once again, alongside me is CJOB's Tyson Rewicki. Tyson, we had to take a bit of a 24-hour breather. Sickness on both sides here. Do you have a voice now? Let's start with that. I do. It's still, it's still a little, yeah. It sounds still not, off. <laughs> still not totally back, but you know, feeling better. At least, at least I can be audible. Yesterday nice. was just too like, I don't even know how to describe it. There's multiple frogs in my throat. Multiple frog, frog <laughs> eye in my throat. Yeah, you just didn't have a chance. It's tough. It's 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 tough to do podcasting and radio if if your voice is. You know, anything less than 70% even. Even when, like, you're – when you can talk and you sound awful, it's it's just brutal to yeah. listen to. Like, it, it, it's one of those things that you can't really fake. So, I think everybody appreciates that we took a little bit of extra time here to get into it. I, I might not have even been, like, fully conscious if we did it yesterday. <laughs> so, like, like I, I would have been just in, in some kind of, you know, fever, drug-infused <laughs> – <laughs> like stupor so i don't even know what would have happened yesterday your dream yeah it would have been it, it would have been pretty awesome actually but we'll get some coherent thoughts at the very least today um so why don't we start with not i, I can't even say the big one that we'll, we'll save the you know maybe more of a macro uh news bomb that that took place yesterday on monday we'll save that for the the later part of the show but let's talk about that win against the Carolina Hurricanes. You know, going into the season, my, I mean, I think they were the the Stanley Cup favorite. But like a, a cup contending team, no doubt about it, their record certainly doesn't reflect that so far this year as they're right kind of in it along the playoff line in the Eastern Conference. But thankfully they got better after the first <laughs> I, I, I guess we'll just say that you know that's 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 an all-time rope-a-dope what we saw there in the first period um but ultimately the Jets do find a way you know to, to hang on um the most positive development in that 3-2 victory I think obviously has to be that Laurent Brassois came up with an absolute beauty no doubt about it his best performance of the season but yeah, it's just it's one of those it's one of those hard games to break down, Tice, because it's like that first period could have ended the game, right? Like <laughs> uh, you know, in a, in a in a multiverse, there there's a multiverse out there where the Jets are down five rip after the first instead of being up one nothing. But they find a way to miraculously come out of that with a one with a one goal lead, and then I thought their game got better and better. But like overall thoughts on the game, 
you know, like t- taking taking that first period into the equation. You know, what are your thoughts after 60 minutes came to an end? I mean, I would, I want to start off with Laurent Brassois, but just because, I mean, without him, they, they don't win that game. And also, too, coming into this game, I was really concerned about his play. Really concerned and just worried Rightfully about... Rightfully so, yeah. Yeah, totally. And just worried about whether that those injuries that he suffered throughout the year last year and previously in his career are, you know, like, did that really take a toll on him? And I think this game and this performance out of him kind of gives you a little bit more, what's the word? A little bit, it makes it a little bit easier just to, just to toss him out there for some games and maybe even give Hellbuck a little bit more rest because if they, if they keep up this pace throughout the season, then, you know, you're going to want to give Hellbuck some rest at the end of the season, like you don't, you don't have to play him as much and kind of let him ease into the playoffs and be a hundred percent ready for the, for the playoffs. So I think that's huge for this team, knowing that Brassois still has it in him. You'd like to see, even if it's just kind of in between this performance and some of his other performances this year, I think you'll gladly take that, but it was, it was massive. And I, one of the things that uh, I thought with the Jets offensive play was that the Hurricanes did a really good job of boxing him out. Really good job. And I just thought that there was a lot of... It just The Hurricanes are a weird team for me because I watched them, like you mentioned, they were Stanley Cup contenders before the season even started. They probably very well will still be Stanley Cup contenders when the season ends. But I'm I'm wondering about this team if they just, they're just missing it. They're a team that's super deep. Like, they have great depth but they just don't have that superstar kind of player, right? Like Jacob Slavin, he's probably a number one defenseman, but he doesn't well, have I, I like think, that I game. I think what pretty- you're talking about is up front. Like on the on the blue line, they're as, as good as it gets. I, I mean, I, I'm totally. Like but, but, but even on the blue line, like Slavin, who's their number one defenseman, unbelievable. I'm one of the most underrated players in the league, but he doesn't really have like that game-breaking ability. Like, you know what I mean? Like that standout kind of being able to take over a game. He's just I, a guy I'm not going to play. Stand, I'm not going to stand for this slave and slander, Tyson. <laughs> I will. I will, I will agree. I'll agree with your overall point, but I, I'm. I'm not good. No, slave and slander is is disallowed on on skates and plates. I'm. I, I can't even. No, but go on hey, with I'll, your. I'll, I'll even say slave and slave a top twelve D man in the league, in my opinion. I yeah, just you know so like that's just, great. <laughs> Yeah, it is great, but it's yeah, they're just missing sort of that that X that X factor on this team. I think that's the one. Aho is a great center too. He's probably a number one center too. Svechnikov's a great player too. It's just they don't have that guy that can really kind of take over a game. And maybe Svechnikov comes back from the injury and he's able to replicate that because I think he was kind of pushing in that direction last year before the injury. But I mean, coming out with two points against this Carolina team, regardless is a very, and they didn't do it in quite impressive fashion, especially looking at after, after the first period, like, oh boy, this game is going to get away from us. But being able to stick in there, and, and of course, as the top line goes, even though that there was some some shifts where, you know, he kind of got hemmed in a little bit, but as the first line goes offensively, the rest of the team goes, and just having that, that top line being able to produce there lets you... You get you get a game like Brassois does. You get the production from the top line. You're going to win a lot of games, but do want to start to see a little bit more scoring from outside the top line. Yeah, this was in a, in a really weird way, kind of like a throwback Winnipeg Jets game. 
right? You get worked on the shot clock, you get outstanding goaltending, and then your top dogs lead the way in the scoring. It was just for Swan instead of Hellebuck, and then the new look top line instead of, you know, maybe a Shifley, Wheeler, and Connor in the past there. But I, I, I kind of agree with your, your overall point about the Hurricanes, where like they're probably, I, I would say, an elite piece up front away from being terrifying also assuming their goaltenders yeah. can stop a beach ball you know what it like they've got i, I don't even blame ronta on in, in this particular game but their save percentage this year is like 860 or something um but yeah they they, they just it's tough right because and this is almost turning more into a hurricanes breakdown than it is a winnipeg jets thing but <laughs> you can you can win playing the volume game but it's just it's it's really tough when you lose because they're like and Brassois made a ton of great saves, but a lot of their shots are point shots, are shots, you know, they're they're shooting for rebounds and things like that. So it's like when you look at some of their analytical numbers, it's like, well, yes, they're tops of the league, but like how juiced are they really when you know high end goaltending is gonna stop a lot of that? And when they're not able to get a bunch of greasy goals off of that, it's it's difficult for them to you know really hurt you on the scoreboard there so it's it's it'll be intriguing to see what they do i i think they're going to be i mean before the season started they said carolina would trade for mark shifley uh on route to a playoff run so i mean i i think carolina's still got a, a big move left in their holster here so we see what they end up doing but yeah this is a winnipeg jets podcast um and let's talk a little bit about those forward lines because, like you said there, I mean, no issues whatsoever with that top line. They lead the way. I mean, the Ehlers' eventual game-winning goal there is, I mean, that's high-end hockey as good as it gets. I mean, there's probably, I mean, there's some great lines in the NHL. There's probably only maybe five teams that have a line that would be able to do what the Winnipeg Jets did on that play. Like, that, that's just, it's so good. I I feel like people are completely underselling how insanely difficult and elite that passing play and finish ended up being by the Jets there. I mean, the the, the entry, the passing play, Ehlers kind of delaying a little bit in the slot, safely finding him, the shot, all that. I mean, it's just it's as it's as good as it gets there. So, but this is gonna be the the conundrum with the forwards right now, with how this team is 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 situated is you know, in, in this particular game, it worked. The top line gets both goals for you. You're able to skate away with a victory thanks to some high-end goaltending as well. But can the Jets get that secondary scoring on a consistent basis with the rest of their roster? That's a bit tougher to answer. And you you wonder how long Shifley, Connor, and Ehlers are going to be together. And it's not even based on how well they do as a trio. I think there are legitimate doubts or concerns about this team getting consistent scoring punch just with the way the other nine, eight forwards have been playing so far, you know, over this last week, two week stretch. Like, I wonder if the best route moving forward is as good as that top line can be, you know, taking an Ehlers or a Connor off of that line and spreading the wealth a little bit. Is that the best way to go? I'm not sure what the right answer is for that. Yeah, and to just taking Ehlers off that second line, 
you're asking guys to kind of who are trying to find their way in the NHL as top six forwards. And Cole Perfetti's a guy who's been finding his stride, but he was playing with Nick Ehlers. Some of that pressure's alleviated a little, little bit, and I think that helps guys a lot. When he's on the top line with Shifley and Connor, like you mentioned, yeah, they put up great numbers, but I think that's just a lot more extra pressure on some of these guys. And, you know, one one train of thought would say, well, if they're going to be those kind of players, they're going to do it from the get-go. But in my, I still think that there is going to be adjustment periods for players. I, not many players are going to be like Connor Bedard who just hop in. And even Connor Bedard, I thought that, not to say that he wasn't amazing from the get-go, but there was an adjustment period where he needed a couple games to really start before he really started exploding on the score sheet. It's he also it's fun right now. You, yeah, which is guy I'm not <laughs> hating on him, but just it's what. And also, just said another point on that. Have, have you seen Perfetti's even strength defensive numbers? It's actually it, if you haven't seen it, you got to check it out because it is it will. I won't say it'll blow your mind because it's not too crazy if you're watching the games. You see that he's yeah in the he's right awesome spot for the most yeah. part, but he, but he's a very borderline elite defensive player already. But yeah, like it's just I, you just want these guys to kind of kind of you don't want to ease them in. Ease them in is not the right word, but you want them they want them to be like a gradual increase. You don't want it to just plop everything on their plate and say, "Hey, you've been playing good. Take that next step for us, please." Like it's just. I think it's it helps everyone on the team come playoff time. You have that ability where it's like these are this is our structure. This is what we want to do with our lines, and this is how we want to attack it. Because right now you do have the ability, especially if you have home ice, that that second line can get really really good matchups. And so I think that's something that the Jets should be utilizing and attacking, especially come playoff time when you have that home ice advantage. Just because the Lowry line is going to be a pain in the in the ass to play against, no matter who they're playing. Especially if it's the Oilers, because McDavid, because Adam Lowry and Dylan Demello live rent free in McDavid's head. Let's just let's just put it that. But it's this is the kind of game that they would have gotten smoked in last year too. But it's just it, this this group seems a little bit more resilient. And uh, one more point on this on these last couple of games before we get into the big big kind of transaction is that finally Declan Chisholm gets into the games. And yeah. he's, not, he's not playing. It's uh, There was 7D yesterday, so it's a little... The, the ice times are a little skewed, but I thought he played... Re- I thought he's played really well. I think he's just a... He's a very solid D-man. I'm not going to say that he's going to be a top three defenseman or even a top four guy, but I think that he's... And with the way... Uh, Nate Schmidt's point in his career, I think still think he's a serviceable D-man. But if you can get a little bit of cap savings, I'm all aboard having Declan Chisholm playing in the Nate Schmidt, Nate Schmidt role next year because I think he's really got the ability. And I thought he was really poised, moving the puck out of his own zone and in the O zone as well. Yeah, Chisholm was the past two games. I mean, I thought he was great against Chicago. He, yeah, he just he's an NHL player. I, I think I think he if, if what however the circumstances came about, if he's on this team's third pair the rest of the way, I I wouldn't be too concerned about that. You know, I, I think he's been really, really strong. What's fascinating to see how this plays out moving forward is this logjam on the blue line, Tyson, which kind of, I mean, one comes to a bit of a head because the team surprisingly went 11 and seven in that game against Carolina with Logan Stanley getting into the lineup. Didn't love Stanley's game once again, also taking a really dumb penalty 
that cross check on Svechnikov in the slot there, right, right after the Jets made it two nothing. Um, but that that kind of puts Schmidt down to eighth in the pecking order, and that's not even really including Vili Hanela, who's now officially skating. I don't know how far away he. I mean, he might still be a couple weeks away from even being an option for the Jets. But I mean, if if he's ready to go somewhat, somewhat soon, I, I really wonder what the Jets' plan is with with Nate Schmidt right now because it seems like they've kind of, at least for the time being, are are, are phasing him out a little bit of of even being a regular in this lineup here. And I, I don't know how. Man, I don't know how they move on from him. You know, even at the deadline, it's 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 going to be a delicate balance here. I mean, even him and Stanley, right? Like, I don't know how, I don't know how this team's going to get down to seven defensemen by the time everybody's healthy, and if Chisholm keeps playing the way that he is right now. Yeah, and and not to mention Nate Schmidt's locker room presence too. He's bloody, like he's a very well liked guy in that locker room, and. If even if he has to get sent down in the minors, because I, I doubt someone would claim him, you never know. But with the cap the way it is right now, I, I think it'd be really tough for a team to kind of to take on that cap it fully. But it's it's it, it and you don't want to. I mean, I'm not going to harp on Chevy really because he's kind of hit this out of the ballpark the last couple months. But it's just this is what's happened. Like you knew this was going to happen at some point. Like you knew like eventually. Then if it wasn't going to happen, then your team probably wasn't going to be very good because the defense wouldn't be playing good. But the defense has played pretty well this season, and you have a lot of guys who are serviceable. And I I, I agree with you with Nate with Logan Stanley that he didn't look very good. He hasn't really looked very good at a lot of games this year. But a spe- but to kind of throw him in against Carolina in a game that he, like he hasn't played in a while, and it's like here uh, we're going to give you spot shift work during the game. And you're also playing against one of the best four checking teams in the league when one of your problems is moving the puck out of your own zone. Like you're not putting them in the best situation, but you do you would still like to see him have moments. Yeah. I, I know I know what you're you're you are right. I mean that that's that's fair, but I'm also kind of of the mindset of like are, are you not an NHL player? Sometimes right. you get put in a difficult situation. I mean, Brassois, I mean you could say, hey. LB, you got the start tonight, and he's like, "Hey, man, like I'm a backup, and you're putting me up against these guys." And then he goes out there and he stands on his head, right? Like, I mean, you you got to be a pro, and you got to go out there and perform. And I, yeah, I just didn't think Stanley had a very good game. Um, you kind of wonder. We see teams do this from time to time, but maybe a bit of a showcase for a potential trade. I don't know. Either way, the Jets are a couple weeks away from not having nine healthy NHL caliber defenseman and somebody's got to go. And I'm not totally sure how that's going to happen for the team right now. So we'll, we'll see how that plays out. I mean, that's going to be kind of your immediate fix in terms of getting your roster somewhat right there. And then, I mean, that's not even talking about potentially bringing in some reinforcements come deadline time to try to improve that back end. So We'll see what the we'll see what the short term fix is before we talk about long term issues or anything like that. You know, the one interesting thing too is, especially with the way the lineup is situated right now, Tice is, you know, you can make the case the Jets could be looking for a top six forward as well, come the deadline, right? Not, not like a major impact piece, but somebody that can slot in there. 
I mean, if you got a log jam on the blue line, teams out there might have a log jam up front. Maybe there's a fit for the Winnipeg Jets by the time uh, February and March roll around. So we'll we'll keep an eye on that over the next little bit. But let's move on now as we head into the tail end of the episode here. You know, while I was in my fever-induced haze yesterday, Tyson, I was kind of on my phone and, and scrolling down and, and looking through, and I was like, I must be really, really sick because, and my brain must be just in a total fog because I'm seeing that the Blue Jays are contenders for Otane and the Jets sign Nino Niederreiter to a three-year, $4 million per season extension. And lo and behold, both of those things ended up to be true. I was incredibly sick. And both of those things ended up and, and kind of are officially official. Um, pushing the, the Blue Jays Otani connection aside, and maybe I guess to, you know, throw in a little baseball parlay into this. I, I just don't know how this can be anything other than a double decker grand slam by, by Chevy here. I mean, this Nino Niederreiter contract extension. Can, can, are there any faults with this? It seems universally loved, but I haven't talked to you about it just yet. I don't see a single issue with this contract whatsoever. Well, I think uh, I think there was a similar sound in, in the Chevy office and maybe in Nino Niederreiter's home. I think it might have went a, a little something like... A little, a little burn, baby, burn, disco inferno. Oh, is that, is that his goal song? Oh yeah, Nino's nice. goal song. One of the best goal songs too. But I mean, it's a home run. Like, and I think we were talking about this uh, a couple episodes ago when uh, it was first reported that Nino's agent was in Winnipeg and they were having those discussions. And I think that we said that, like, a three-year, four and a half million. I, I assume that if you could get him for three years at four and a half million, that's a really good deal. The fact that he got him for three at four, I thought if you were going, if he was getting four mil, he was getting at least four years, maybe even an extra year. But you have it's it's a perfect deal. It's it's an easy cap hit to move if you choose to move it, and it, you're not wrapped up for a long term. You with and with the amount of young players that are going to be coming in too, that cap is going to be easy to fit in. And he's and he's a guy that you can plug anywhere in the lineup too. So. It really doesn't matter. And the fact that a guy like that wants to stay in Winnipeg, it's it's just a no-brainer. And, she- and Chevy did unbelievable work on it. Thanks. Uh, by the way, we'll probably have to pay a good 10K in royalty fees for that <laughs> little soundbite you did. So that was sweet. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, like I, I, I that, that's exactly, I think everybody's kind of in the same mindset on this. Like it's, it's just, it's perfect. <laughs> There's no, it's, it's Mortal Kombat flawless. Like there's just no issue. I think when we talked about it, like you said there, we were like four by four and a half is is probably pretty good. Three would be ideal, but four by four and a half like gets a little bit of a raise. Everybody's happy. But but for Chevy to get that down to three years and maintaining his four million dollar per year salary. I mean, it's it's a stroke of genius. There's no other way about it, right? Like, it, yeah, I don't think anybody's going to be upset with it. You take into account all the off-ice stuff that you mentioned. You bring somebody into the organization. They immediately want to be here. Lo and behold, people do want to sign in Winnipeg. That's a home run. On the ice, 
I mean, five on five, he's still one of the better and more impactful forwards at both ends of the ice in the NHL. You know, power play, that's not really his forte, but five on five, he's going to be outstanding for you. And you can see the impact he's had defensively with this team so far this season. Um, and then any kind of leadership intangibles and things like that, like he, he, he really, he's got it all. And I mean, with the cap increase, without the cap increase, who really cares? He either, he's either an underpaid top six player or he's a guy that turbocharges your third line for only $4 million a season. Uh, yeah, it's, I have no notes. It's, it's, as, it's as good as it could have possibly gotten, I think, for Winnipeg fans. And I think one other thing, too, that's a little that's going a little bit under the radar in regards to this contract is that Nino was here. Nino was here when the debacle of last year happened, right? Like he was, yeah, he, he was around and witnessed probably one of the roughest points in this Jets 2.0 franchise. And so you've seen Shifley resign, Hellebuck resign, now Nino resign. Those are three guys who were involved in that really tumultuous period. And these guys want to stay here now. So I think that goes to show you that there is an improvement inside the locker room. And you don't really have to not not rocket science to see the who's in and who's out and maybe why that why this locker room has a little bit better of a vibe to it. But I think these are positive signs that show that this team is coming together and who knows, they might be coming together at the perfect time right ahead of right, right ahead of a big playoff run. They just might. And El Nino sticking around. It's it's all been gravy pretty much so far. I mean, I, I would say since the Shifley Hellebuck extensions, there have been very, very few dips and you know negative vibes surrounding the Jets pretty much all season long here. And yeah, that was a nice little bit of news to kickstart your week on a Monday morning is that Nino's here to stay for the next three years. And um, yeah, we'll have to see how it plays out over the next little bit. Um, the one thing I do want to touch on quickly, Tyson, I was going to say, we'll wrap up the episode, but we'll do that in just a sec. As we look ahead to where the jets are uh, schedule wise over the next week or so, but just quickly in about one to two minutes, should we be worried about the Arizona coyotes? <laughs> I, I are they are they official are they I, I, officially I, I, a problem? <laughs> yes, they they are. There's something about this Arizona team, especially now that like the news came out today on Tuesday that they might have a new home. They might be staying in Arizona, like actually. So it's just like I don't know. It's even like I, I kind of had a feeling about this Arizona team, and I and I remember during our predictions, I kind of I had them a little bit higher than. I think a lot of, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but it's just, they, it seemed like things were kind of starting to get together last year. And I, that's also why I was kind of big on the Predators. I just, I, I could, you could see a team that's kind of taking, I don't want to say taking a next step because they're not going to be like world beaters if they make the playoffs. Like they probably get losing five to whoever they play, but you can see that they're kind of like in that upper echelon of these bubble teams in the west kind of everyone's a bubble team but like they have the clayton keller they have some guys on d that are actually really solid that like that providing actual decent play there and who would have thought that connor ingram 
out of out of everyone all of a sudden and it's not even like Vejmelk has been it's like he's had his numbers haven't been great but like his underlying numbers and his advanced analytic numbers have been really good the past couple years not so much this year but connor ingram is just like what the hell <laughs> how did he, yeah, how, is he a, how is he a viable starting goalie now it's just that this area they kind of just have everything going for them right now and the west is just so bad in general I think, like I, I, I think that's what it is, Tyson. I think the West is it's such a down year for the West that like in a normal season, this Coyotes team would be like kind of like what Nashville was last year, right? Like they yeah, like they'd be on the outside, fun, but like not really worrying anybody. But now that you know there's a couple playoff contenders like at the bottom, this has allowed Arizona to come up there. I mean, I I still struggle to believe that a team with J.J. Moser and Sean Dersey as their top pairing is going to be a problem down the stretch. But, man, what a run they're on right now. Five straight dubs. They've beaten five straight cup winners on route to doing that. And they're at the very least, they're a fun team to watch right now. And, you know, my, my bold prediction might come true about the Arizona Coyotes, Tyson. And that was that they stay in Arizona one more year. <laughs> I don't know, maybe we'll we'll see. We'll but take I, it. And we'll just quickly one other, one other thing about the Coyotes too is that my for my bold prediction, I thought if Arizona was going to have a pretty good year, that Logan Cooley was going to have to come in and really impress people. He's he's gotten he's, his numbers are somewhat there, but he's I have not really been that impressed with him. Like you see the flashes of skill and the flashes of excellence, but it's just not there. Like like. It's almost like a, a Zegris light sort of situation where like like a couple of years or last year where it was just like you could see the skill he has, but it's just not it's not totally translating yet. And then and I mean it's his first 20 yeah. games, so it'll give he's, the kid he's a, a point. He's a 19 year old kid. Like that's that's how it goes sometimes. I mean, it, it, especially too like you see what Lafreniere is doing with the Rangers this year, and to a bigger extent. Quinton Byfield becoming a man out there with uh, with the Kings. You're right. I mean, like sometimes people forget. Like it's it's hard. It's hard as a teenager performing in the NHL. I, yeah, he's he's gonna be just fine. Um, we'll we'll see if he. Uh, well, we'll see if the Coyotes. Maybe we'll have to we'll have this discussion at the forty game mark as opposed to the 24-25 game mark. But they're putting together a nice little run right now. So I thought I'd give them a little bit of a shout out scene as they're. Only a handful of points back of the Jets for third in the Central. Uh, well, that's going to do it for the episode today. We'll call it a wrap, and we'll be back this time on schedule uh, for you guys Friday morning. We'll break down the start of the road trip for the Winnipeg Jets as they head out to the West Coast, which begins, oh baby, a matchup in Colorado against the Avalanche. I'm going to take the over in that one. I don't have a prediction just yet, but I, 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 I like. I'm assuming it's five and a half. Oh yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna maybe dabble in a over five and a half bid on that. No doubt about it. Um, then uh, a trip out into California after that. But we'll break down that Jets Avalanche game for you guys when we get back at it on Friday morning. Until then, though, thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host Brandon Rewicki. CJOB's Tyson Rewicki with us once again. 
We'll get back at it Friday morning. Until then, enjoy the rest of your week. Stay safe and have a good time, everybody. Peace.